you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, go with me to Hebrews chapter, let's go to chapter 4, uh, and we're going to get to chapter 4. Actually, we may just turn over real quick to Hebrews 11 once again, and I want to read <clears throat> just a, a few verses out of Hebrews 11, and then we're going to go back over to Hebrews 4. Uh, go to Hebrews 11, and uh, today, as I had mentioned back um, about a week ago or so, uh, I wanted to just through this month preach about faith. And faith, last week I talked about uh, to have faith as God sees, which is difficult for many of us. <clears throat> the only way for us to do that is, in fact, to... Uh, keep our eyes on Jesus and keep our hearts fixed on Him. Uh, and I am, I am so thankful that God is ever so patient with all of us. You know, when you look at how Jesus acted and reacted to His disciples, and at times the disbelief or the unbelief of His disciples in certain situations, you recognize that He loved His disciples. That He was so patient with them. And for many of us, it requires that uh, God is patient with us. If it were not for His patience, we don't know where we would be. But we read this last week, and I want to read it again. The Bible says this, starting at verse 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not See, that is what we don't see, but you have to remember that God sees what we don't see. That God is able to see things in your life that you can't see. God was able to see things in the life of Gideon that we could not see. That God is able to see things in situations that we can't see. He sees behind the scenes. And so we have to say, Lord, let me be certain of what it is that I hope for and certain of what I don't see, those things are hard to grab onto until we get in tune with the Lord and we pray and we read the Bible and find out what it is that God is looking at even though we may not see it with our eyes. Verse 2 says this is what the ancients were commended for. And verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now remember, the very first thing that existed was God. Uh, atheists love to jump on this one, who created God? Nobody. He is self-existent. He is the self-existent God. He is the cause of it all. But in the end, folks, if there is anything that I want us to trust in today, it is the Word of God. Because the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, talking about Christ. But the idea of Him being the Word is what God had to say. The Bible also says that He spoke the worlds into existence. He spoke the universe into existence. It was formed by one thing, His Word. 
And if there is anything that we have to lay hold to today and say, God, let me stand upon something, I want you to know there are not very many things in this world that are certain today. Well, (laughs) death and taxes, as they say, right? There are a couple of things that we understand that they are certain. I I remember having a sixth grade teacher. I thought, man, this guy was so morbid. Uh, he, used to, he used to tell us young, impressionable sixth graders, he'd say, you know, when he was giving homework, he would tell us, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do except die. <laughs> I thought, man, that's coming from my sixth grade teacher. I, it's not real, you know, it's just not, you're young, you know, you're 11, 12 years old. It's not the thing you want to hear from your sixth grade teacher. But there are certain things that are for sure But I want you to know the one thing that is constant, the one thing that will last forever is, and we'll get into this in a little bit, is the Word of the Lord. It is the Word of God. Now I want you to go down to Hebrews 11 and verse 6, and we'll get back to this verse at the end of Scripture. But the Bible says, and without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let me just repeat that phrase again. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then it goes on and says, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I want you to see and understand today that it is those who earnestly seek Him are the ones who are rewarded. And what is that reward? It is not something that you get for, that you can earn. It is eternal life. It is blessing in your life. It is strength to go through the troubles. And we could go back through, and I I know I've done a series on Hebrews 11 before, but we're going to, maybe over the course of time here and over these next couple of messages, I want to touch on some of the finer points of Hebrews 11 again just so that we understand that faith does not necessarily always exempt us from trouble. And how many of you know that to be true in your own life? you got faith, but you got trouble too. It doesn't necessarily mean that God is going to push away all the difficulty and all the trouble. Now go over to Hebrews chapter 4. One verse of Scripture. And uh, I've been in this verse of Scripture before. And I want to just point this out by way of introduction to understand today that when the Word of the Lord comes forth in any form, in any way, whether it is through the preaching of the Word, whether it is through the reading of the Word, the teaching of the Word, whatever the case might be, there is an important element for it to have a lasting effect in your life. And it is faith. Listen to what the Bible says. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message, now the writer of Hebrews also is using the example of those who have heard the message of of good news, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But the message they heard, listen to this, was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. 
those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now, it has become a sort of a tradition now that I have taken over at Thanksgiving time the making of the sweet potatoes. Uh, one, because my wife is usually at work on that particular day, and we make it sort of in a day in advance, and so I make the sweet potatoes. Now, I like sweet potatoes all by themselves. They're sweet. They're, they're good. They're, they're, you know, you pop them in the oven, you bake them for, you know, 10 hours or something. No, you bake them for an hour and a half, two hours, whatever it takes for those ginormous things to bake, and they're so good. They're so sweet. They're so tasty. But... Sweet potatoes like, you know, what, it, what we, we found this recipe, what we have, that sweet potato is a whole lot different than the sweet potato that you just grab and pop it in the oven and bake it. It's so much sweeter. It's like eating candy mush. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Because in this recipe, it calls for sugar, brown sugar. And man, do I love brown sugar. And when that brown sugar goes into that mixture, and it's being mixed together, and then I dip that spoon in there, because you got to try it, right? Every chef has to. Now I'm a chef. But every chef has to try it. And, you know, you dip that in there, and, oh, it's just, I mean, it's better than the thing you pop in the oven. Way better than that just Big old sweet potato, which is sweet, which is why they call it sweet potatoes. But these are sweet, sweet potatoes. But then to top it all off, you get the little mushrooms. Mushrooms. Marshmallows. Not mushrooms. That would be disgusting, wouldn't it? Uh, just envision that for a minute. Get the marshmallow, the little marshmallows. You put them on top. You pop it in the oven. And you bake it for a little while. And those marshmallows get kind of golden brown, you know, like you've had them on a stick over a fire. And they just kind of, and then all of a sudden you realize the sweetness of the mushrooms plus the brown sugar in the sweet potatoes. It's like heaven. I have been trying to force my kids for years to, to just, just have some. You don't understand. It's, it's actually like good for you, but it's, it tastes like candy. I mean, if you can just imagine it, it's so good. But the thing is, is I could put that out for you if I didn't put the marshmallows on it, didn't put the brown sugar in it, didn't combine it together, it wouldn't taste as good. It would be a little bit bland. Well, I want you to know something, that the gospel, when it's not mixed or combined with faith, when we don't believe what it is that we hear, when we don't believe what it is that is written in the Word of God, when we don't believe what God has actually said, then I want you to know, brothers and sisters, there are a lot of things that follow that just don't seem to make sense, that don't somehow in your life, that are just so bland and down and blah, and I can't believe it. I want you to know that the Word of the Lord has to be combined and mixed with faith. We've got to have faith to believe His Word. Because as the Bible says, and we read it, just a moment ago, back in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
absolutely impossible to please God. Without any kind of faith, brothers and sisters, you will not be pleasing to the Lord. You can go through all the kind of religious exercises you want. You can say, well, pastor, I lift my hands and I praise. I do. I sing louder than anybody else. But do you have faith in what God has said? Do you believe what the Lord has said? Listen, all the Israelites rejoiced when they got on the other side of the Red Sea, but it was the majority all of a sudden that somehow forgot the same faith that would get them through the Red Sea was the same faith that was going to help them to survive and to live and to get to the promised land. And only two survived and got there with their family. Only two. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, we have got to have faith in what God has said. If God has said it, then I believe that we can say for certainty in our lives that we can trust in what the Lord says. How many of you know you can't trust what other people say sometimes? Right? I mean, come on. We, we have that, you know, we've had that experience in life where somebody says, well, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this. And, and they don't deliver. And you begin to get skeptical about anybody. Well, don't be skeptical of God. Because what God has said in His Word is absolutely true. It is right. He will always fulfill His Word. You can believe it before you can believe anything else that anybody has said. So what do we have to have faith for in His Word? Well, there are a number of things that the Word of God will do for you if you will believe and you will trust. But the first one is this. We've got to have faith in His Word for direction. For direction. Go now to, um, let's go into the Old Testament, to Genesis, the book of Genesis. Uh, I want to go to Genesis, and we're just going to go, starting at verse 1, and we're going to read down through to verse 5. We're going to start at verse 1, but really verse 1 is the key verse, and then of course, we're going to see Abraham, or Abram, as he was called at that time, his reaction to what God said. God showed up to Abram for no good reason. Oh, if he had a great reason, he was going to call him and choose him. But I'm saying within Abram and Abraham, the only thing that he had, remember, Abraham was called before there was ever any law ever written. Before there was ever any scripture. In fact, He couldn't go to a Bible and say, well, let me see if this lines up. Yeah, let's see. And, you know, the book. He he couldn't do that because there was no word of God written at that time. All it was was God showing up saying, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. Now, listen to what chapter 12 and verse 1 says. It says this. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, I want you to understand in all of this, God did not give him the directions ahead of time. God simply said, go. I want you to get up. I want you to go. I want you to take your family. I want you to take those that are closest to you. I want you to get up, get out. And he says in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, 
and you will be a blessing. I want to be a blessing, don't you? But sometimes it requires that we believe what God has to say about us. He says, I will bless those, in verse 3, those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, it's going to be through Abraham. Abraham is not going to live forever, so it has to be through Abraham. Even though at that point, Abraham had no children, he and his wife Sarah could not have any children, and that was, has created, had created a problem for them in this sense. But the Bible goes on and says in verse 4, here's his response. His response is, so Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. That's, you know, that's kind of the age where you're not really setting out to go to somewhere that you don't know where you're going. That's the age where you've already planned out where it is you're going you're gonna to rest for the rest of your days, however many days those might be. That's the age where you're not going out on some kind of an expedition that looks to be sort of reckless to the rest of the family. 75 years old, all of a sudden Abram says, we got to leave. Can you imagine the conversation with Sarah? Because the Bible says here in verse 5, I can get these glasses on. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all his possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. But God hadn't told him exactly where they were going. He just says, I want you to go. I want you to get up. I want you to get out. And what did he do? He did one thing. He said, God, I am going to believe you and trust you for direction." And if there is something that we have to trust that the Word of God is good for, it is good for giving direction to His people. Those who will look at the Word, who will read the Word, and who will find in the Word of God, they will find that God is able to give direction for our lives. Not just for Abraham back then, but also for us today. He will lead and He will guide His people. Why? Because the psalmist reveals, go now to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. It is the longest chapter in all of the Bible. Psalm 119, but it is all, it, it's an amazing thing that though it is, it is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, it is entirely, in its entirety, the theme is about the Word of God and what God has spoken. But he says this. God gives direction for each and every one of us. And we can trust that the Word of God is going to do this. Psalm 119, verse 105. The Bible says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know what that seems to indicate? It seems to indicate, one, that we're walking in a world of darkness. We're walking in a world where things are not so clear. We're walking in a place where it doesn't seem as though that by ourselves, with our own vision, with our own understanding, that we can find the way that we should be going. But what it does presuppose is it presupposes that God's Word will light our pathway. 
How many of you ever walked down a pathway that had lights, one on side of the other? Not very bright, but it's enough to show you that's the way that you need to go. Or you've been out at night, and you're, you know, it's the, the darkness of night. Of course, here in the city, it's kind of difficult because, you know, you've got street lights all around you, you've got all of those things, but, but maybe the, you know, the power's gone out. What do you do? You grab a flashlight, and you're pointing it at your feet. If it's just dark outside, so dark, no moon, no stars, no nothing, it's just so dark, it's hard to see around you. There's no natural light in the sky. You shine that light down at your feet, and you can see what's going on right there in front of you. And at least you know that next step that you're going to take is not a step that's going to cause you to stumble and fall and hurt yourself. I want you to know that the Word of God, we've got to trust and believe His Word that He will direct our steps. He'll direct our paths. And that His light, the light of the Word of God will shine so that we don't stumble and we don't fall in the world that is so full of darkness. Brothers and sisters, you have the Word of God to light your way. Trust and believe in His Word that He will give light that is necessary so that you will know the direction that you need to go. God told Abraham, get up and get out. I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. And sure enough, Abram ended up there. But God, he had to trust in God. You know, God, it's, it's really more of a, you know, God was his GPS. The God positioning satellite system, you know. He was the one who directed him. He was the one who took him where it was that he needed to go. And somewhere along the way in all of their travels, there were detours. There were things that, that came up along the way. There were famines in the land that then he had to divert to another place and go to another place, go down to Egypt or go down, go down to, into a different area of the Philistines and where they were and, and, uh, and, and to, to, to kind of dwell in the land of the Amalekites for a bit. He had to do those things, and yet God led him every step of the way. Sometimes there are detours that we don't comprehend, we don't understand, and yet in all of it, God is working together to direct your life and to direct your paths. You've got to, and I have to, we've got to believe in His Word because it is good for direction. There might be those around you who will help you will come alongside of you and try to direct your life in one way or another. Listen, unless God is giving the direction, you need to just take it all with a grain of salt and simply say, let me find out what God has to say. There is no other way for us to be directed than the Word of God. We've got to believe in His Word, have faith to believe His Word, that it is good for directing your steps. The Bible says the steps of a good man, a righteous man, are ordered by the Lord. God does not, He will not let your foot stumble in the darkness of your life, but instead, if you will trust in what the Bible says, God will direct your way. Now, we've also got to have faith in His Word because His Word can accomplish great things in us, and it is this. Have faith in His Word to complete His work in you. Sometimes we're not believing that God is at work in us. And you know what, folks? I want to tell you that as believers, if you love the Lord, maybe it is that we think, well, you know, I haven't served God faithfully or perfectly. First of all, God is not looking for perfect Christians. He is in the process of perfecting you. You're not perfect yet, folks. None of us in this room have arrived. 
isn't anybody who's arrived, including the guy who's preaching to you today. None of us have arrived at the place where we need to be. But thank God we're not what we used to be. Amen? We're not the same as what we were. We are different now, and God is helping us, but He will complete His work in you. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. And here is where we need to see that His Word is at work within us. As long as we are going to His Word, His Word will be at work within us. And we've got to believe what His Word says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. The Bible says this, And we also thank God continually because when you receive, Now, the idea here of receiving the Word of God is to hear it. But there is a little more involved in it because here's what the Bible says. It says, you receive the Word of God which you heard from us. That is Paul and his his traveling companions at that point. And now, listen to this. You accepted it not as the Word of men, but as it actually is The Word of God, which is, listen to what it does, it's more than just a word to hear and to think about and to ponder, but this is a living and an active word that the Bible says, which is at work in you who believe. Remember what I read in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2? That without faith, that without having mixing the Word of God with faith, it's of no value. It's the same thing here. Here we see the positive aspect. We see He says, you received the Word, you heard it, you accepted it as it actually was. In other words, these aren't just, just ordinary common words that ordinary men are speaking. There is something powerful and inspired, not just the inspiration that we sort of get from time to time. No, this is God-breathed, and this is something that we now must live in and work in and, and accept into our lives. And the Bible says you believed it, so it's at work within you. The Word of God works in your life to accomplish the ends by which God has placed His hand upon your life, or for which, I should say. The Word of God works in you to accomplish what God has placed His hand upon your life for. You've got to know, brothers and sisters, that when you believe the Word of God, when you trust the Word of God, God's going to work in you and He is going to accomplish in your life exactly the purpose that He has designed for you. Now, I, I said this last week as I was preaching that God has a plan for every, every life, every individual in this place. The same way that He showed up to Gideon and he said, you're a mighty warrior, and Gideon didn't look like a mighty warrior. It's the same way with us. We've got to believe what God has spoken about our hearts, and he will work within us. He works in us. I love that. The word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Well, how much faith do I have to have? Not very much, actually. That's the wonderful thing about it. The Word of God does not need a big ton of faith. In fact, the Bible says in order for the Word of God to be effective and for it to be powerful, all we need is faith like the grain of a mustard seed. 
That's the tiniest amount possible. The mustard seed is so small, such a tiny, tiny little seed, and yet it grows up into this big, big mustard plant, this mustard tree, and, and, it, and, it, and it helps to, you know, it gives, it gives you know, all that is needed for, for uh, uh, and in that moment for, for the life and sustaining life and the whole deal. But this, this tiny little seed grows. That's what the Word of God does. When we believe just the smallest part of it, the smallest aspect, God says, I've got a spot that I can work. I've got some place, I've got fertile soil that I can minister in and through in that person's life because they believe the Word of the Lord. Folks, sometimes we come into church and the problem is we're walking in here with just a little bit of unbelief. But the problem is, is the unbelief is overpowering the little bit of faith that we're supposed to have. And we walk out and we're the same rotten, cantankerous individuals as what we were when we walked in the building. It's because we're not letting faith work in us. Brothers and sisters, we have got to believe that the Word of God will come on the inside and change us and make us what we need to be because we believe the Word. Now, we've got to have faith in His Word to complete the work. Well, you know what verse of Scripture I'm about to read. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Because the Bible lets us know that His work will be completed. His work will be completed. Paul writes to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And he says this, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that this work is dependent upon him and not necessarily so much upon me. The word of God comes to our heart. It begins a good work in us. But you know what, brothers and sisters? the end result is simply this, that we have to believe in what God is doing in us. We have to believe that the Word of God is working within us and that it will bring to completion what it is that God has placed His hand upon our lives to do. You, he will carry it, along, carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what we're notorious for as human beings? For not finishing stuff. For not completing things. I have bookshelves full of books that I have started and never completed. You have projects that you have started and not completed. There are things, I've got this piece of furniture a, a little while ago, some number of months ago, about a year or so ago, picked up this piece of furniture, had a vision for it. My wife will tell you, it still sits in our garage. I started it. I got this, you know, coat of paint on it, had an intention to put another coat of paint on it and wax it up, shine it up, make it look real nice, finish it and have it look nice. And there it sits in the garage, getting spider webs, dust all over it, all kinds of things. We start things, but we don't complete them. God will never start something in your life that He will not complete. God does not start things that He cannot finish. God is fully capable of finishing the work in your life 
But we have to believe and trust in the Word of God that it will work in us and bring us to that place of completion. He will bring us from glory to glory, from victory to victory. He will take you into one area that you have never realized would be a place that God would use you. Brothers and sisters, we've got to believe the Word of the Lord. We've got to have faith in His Word not only to complete the work not only for direction, but we've got to have faith in His Word to protect us. To protect us. Really, ultimately against two things. First, against Satan's attacks. Listen to what the Bible says. You're in the New Testament. Why not go there? Just go there. And then I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture out of the Old Testament here in a moment out of Psalm 119. But you're in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Back a few months ago, we did a series. I did a series on the armor of God, the full armor of God. And I want to just touch on this for a moment because the ultimate thing is, is not necessarily an accident like what Johnny and Marsha had this past week. While God protected them and watched over them all, they have some aches and pains, but beyond that, they're okay. It goes further than that because ultimately, we need to know that there is a spiritual attack coming against each and every one of us. That the enemy does his best to bring you down through discouragement, doubt, fear, unbelief, whatever the case might be. And so we've got to have faith in the Word of God to protect us against Satan's attacks. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. Listen to what the Bible says, and it gives us a formula for being able to, to come against the enemy. Take the helmet of salvation and... The sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The Word of God will protect you against Satan's attacks. In fact, it's not just a defensive part of weaponry. It is an offensive part. Now, we know that a sword can be both defensive and offensive. Defensive in the sense that you can use the sword to block against what the enemy will come at you with, but it can also be an offensive piece of weaponry and it will, it will go and cut to the heart of what is happening in that situation. The enemy comes against you. He does his best to threaten you, but I want you to know the Word of God, the Bible says, is able to pierce into that situation and bring about a change that will affect you and give you the power to be protected. The enemy cannot destroy you. The enemy cannot defeat you because you've got the Word of God. And I know sometimes we walk around and we say, well, I feel so defeated. I feel so down. I feel so this. I feel so that. And the problem is, like many of us, we walk around just worrying about our feelings and going based upon our feelings. The Word of God is not subject to feeling, but it can help you in the midst of your struggle and your battle to come against the enemy and bring a defeating blow. The, we've got to have faith to believe that the Word of God will protect each and every one of us each and every day because we can wield the Word of God and come against the enemy and defeat him in every situation. We've got to have faith in His Word to protect us against sin. I remember when my mother gave me my very first, you know, real Bible. She wrote these words. I think I have it somewhere. I don't know where it is. But she wrote these words in the front cover of that Bible. She said, Brent, 
Sin will keep you from this book. But this book will keep you from sin. That is scriptural. Go to Psalm 119. Let's just turn back over there. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. And the Word of God can protect you against sin. When sin comes at you, when sin tries to bring destruction, when it, it enters in and you, you find that you, you are tempted to give in to the flesh, I want you to know the Word of God makes provision for you against sin. Listen to what the Bible says. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11. The Bible says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Here's the word of God again. Verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There are two things in this that I want you to see that are so important. And that is, the temptation to sin will come. It will absolutely happen. This, this idea, this, what the writer, what Psalmist David is saying, presupposes the fact that the temptation to sin will come. And how are we to stay pure? Well, the world says it can't happen. The world says, nah, it's not possible for people to be pure anymore. It's not possible for people to live a life of purity, a life of, of, of goodness, of holiness, of wholeness, and moral, uh, with good morality. It's not possible. But the Bible says it is. The Bible says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. In other words, let me get your word into my heart so that it protects me against the onslaught of sin and it protects me against the temptation that will come my way. Brothers and sisters, we have got to understand that the word of the Lord will protect us from giving into the flesh. Do you know that the writer uh, John wrote in the in the first part of John he says, "I write to you in 1 John chapter 2, I write to you so that you will not sin." In other words, you don't have to. Did you know you do not have to sin? You don't have to give in to the flesh. Young people today will say, I have to. No, you don't. It's like Esau. Ah, oh, who cares about the birthright? I'm going to starve. You're not going to starve. Esau hang on to what's valuable, but he didn't. He let it go because he had to have what the flesh was craving. He had to have it. He didn't have to. He would have survived. He was a big man. He was a strong man. You know, the Word of God will keep us from sin. we got to keep ourselves according to the Word of God. And then verse 11, the Bible says, I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not just enough to read it every now and then. We've got to get it down on the inside. Because we don't know when the enemy will come along and he will do his best to bring destruction. He will do his best and he'll bring an attack against us. And as long as we've got the Word of God within us to help us to stand our ground, brothers and sisters, you've got to know the devil will be no match for the Word of God. It was the Word of God that defeated the devil. When Jesus was out in the wilderness being tempted of the devil, at the end of his, his fasting period of 40 days and 40 nights, all of a sudden now, now it was the Word of God that kept Jesus. It's the same thing for us. We cannot allow 
sin to come into our hearts, the only way is to combat it and fight it with the Word of God. I want you to see this one final thing. And it is this. that We've got to have faith in His Word for our crisis. Faith in His Word that it is sufficient for your crisis. We're not going to take the time to read the whole thing. And in fact, I want to read just one verse of Scripture to you out of the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20. But I want you to see what Jehoshaphat the king instructed the people. After they had gathered together, all together they had prayed, and the word of the Lord came through a prophet of what it was that they were supposed to do, that they were to believe the word of the Lord. I'm not going to take the time to read all these verses of Scripture. I want to read just verse 20. Because here's what Jehoshaphat did in the midst of it all. He instructed the people. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. They were going out to face these three armies that had come against them. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Now listen to what he says. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in His prophets and you will be successful. Now, He's not telling them, have faith in the prophet's life. He is saying, because a prophet the day before had just prophesied the word of the Lord and what was going to happen. He's saying, believe what they have said. Believe what God has spoken through them. Believe that in the midst of your crisis, that God's Word is greater than what the enemy is bringing against you. Some of us, that is difficult to do. For us, in the middle of our crisis, somehow we think God is not bigger. I wish I could remember, honey, I don't know if you remember the the quote from Lecrae this morning. You remember it out of your head, you read it. I can't remember what it was, but it was so good. And it had to do with this idea about our anxiety that we get anxious because essentially we're not believing what God, that God is enough in our situation and in our crisis. And brothers and sisters, I got to tell you today that God is enough in your situation. God is able in your crisis. That God's word is so powerful in the midst of your difficulty and your pain and your suffering. Your crisis also requires patience. Listen to Psalm 130 in verse 5. He says, the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I put my hope. Brothers and sisters, your crisis may require you to have a bit of patience. And that is one of the most difficult things that we could ever try to do. Wait it out. Most of us are like, God, you know what? I need help now. Now, now, now. Please, God. Right now. And sometimes it requires that we have patience. Because God knows exactly what it is that we're going through. You have not escaped his attention today. Your crisis has not been overlooked by the God of heaven. 
but instead he sees right where you are. You know, I wonder sometimes, I used to think, you know, the three Hebrew boys, did they have to go through the fire? You know, it was enough that they stood their ground and they're the only three standing in this valley. And, we, you know, God, where's God? He's not showing up for them right then and there just to... But now they've got to go through the fire. I think it was because in the fire that God was able to reveal the supremacy of His power. I don't, I don't like that. Do you? Oh, yes, God put me in a fiery furnace. Woohoo! There isn't anybody who feels like that. Who wants to go through it all? Who wants to go through the pain and the difficulty and the crisis and the questioning and the doubts and the not knowing what's happening? But it is is in the fire that God is able to show the supremacy of His power. His Word will help you to overcome your crisis. The Bible lets us know that there was a man who was a royal official came to Jesus one day. His son lay dying was not able to to move out of his bed and the man came to him John chapter 4 records it and let me just read it to you John chapter 4 verses 49 to 51 the Bible says the royal official said sir come down before my child dies listen what Jesus did Jesus replied you may go your son will live the man took Jesus at his word and departed. In other words, he believed the word. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. He took Jesus at his word. In other words, Jesus, I believe what you have said, and your word is going to help me to overcome my crisis. Brothers and sisters, why is it so important for us to believe the word of God? Because as Jesus says in John chapter 17 and verse 17, His Word is truth. If you want what is true in this life, you believe in His Word. You trust in His Word. You find out what the Word of God says and you bank your life on it. You believe it with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Your Word is truth. Mark chapter 13 and verse 31 says, Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. There is something that is enduring, that is lasting. I wonder if we could stand to our feet right now. There is one thing that lasts, and it is the word of the Lord that will last forever.